0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it.
1: Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to stay in that place. Thank you, Lord, for the honor that it is to worship you. Thank you that we are your people called by your name. Lord, we acknowledge your presence now, and we ask that you would do in and through us what we cannot do for ourselves, Lord. We thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that your love endures forever, and we thank you that it is your love that compels us, Lord God, to return to you. For your promise is if we return to you, you will return to us. So we lift this morning to you and we ask in the precious name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts, God. We know that you are a God who speaks heart to heart. Awaken us in our inmost being, Lord God. Help us to understand the depth of your love for us. For if we do, if we even taste of it, Lord God, surely we will never be the same. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Very excited to be with you today as we um, partake of communion so, I am going to be guiding us today in communion. If you do not have your little communion cup, um, go ahead and raise your hand, and then one of these gentlemen would be kind enough to get you one for sure. Um, these are little self contained cups. We have a couple over there. Anybody else over here? And uh, we'll take that later on in today's service. This has been a, a great innovation in the age of COVID that we're seeing here. So, today I'm going to be talking to you about blood covenant. And uh, I want to give a little parental warning today. Um, There are a couple things that I'm going to be talking about for parents that you just might need to be aware of. There is going to be a brief discussion of human sexuality. I just want you to know that. And then also I'm going to be showing a video prior to communion that has some images from the Passion of the Christ in it. And these images are, are pretty graphic. So just for parents, I want you to know that ahead of time so that you can decide what's best for your child. Those of you online were not able to show the video to you online, so you will have a break in the message today, in the service today, and that'll be an opportunity for you to take a communion meditation, not a medication. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I need a little medication, Tom, don't you think? (laughs) Yeah, uh, take a communion meditation uh, for those six minutes during the service. Well, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about. As I prepared for the message this week, I um, reveled in the mysteries of God and um, I was overwhelmed once again by God's goodness shown to us and by the deep um, love that he has for us for it is the love of Christ that compels us. Can you say that with me? It's the love of Christ that compels us. I want to answer a question today. Why are we returning? Why are we repenting? Why would we turn from our wicked ways? For the love of Christ compels us. I want you to hold on to that. For it's the love of God that compels us. We're going to be talking about that more. Now, before I get there, I want to do a little bit of review of uh, where we've been. If you'd be kind enough to say this scripture with me out loud from 2 Chronicles 7 to 14. Some of you may even have it memorized by now. We've been doing it for weeks. Let's say it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. This is a promise from the Lord, and it's a promise that we are trusting Jesus for now, and it's really simple, it's just not easy. If my people who are called by my name, that's everyone who has a relationship with Jesus, and would would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven. And we've acknowledged together countless times that our land is in desperate need of healing. And if we're not ready to return to him now, how much pain will it take? How much suffering will it take? What needs to happen in the culture for us to get low before God? So we've kind of broken these in these three kind of sections. It's a call to wake up. That's a confession that we've been sleeping and complacent. It's a call to weep. That's a confession that we become numb to the reality of our own sinfulness and the actual condition of the culture around us and that we're saying now, God, break our hearts with the things that break yours. And it's a call to war. That's a profession that it is time for us to be on our faces before God in prayer and repentance like never before to be bolder for the cause of Christ than we have ever been before so that more and more will come to know him and his love. And we acknowledge we're joining with national leadership, leadership from really all around the world during this time, a season of repentance. So I've explained to you that we've been in this month of Alul, which means an accounting of the soul. You are taking an account of your soul before God right now. We are corporately taking an accounting of our soul before God. And then we're in a season of Teshuvah, which means the return. The Jew would celebrate this every year, every year. And we're now in the 10 days of awe. We were at the Feast of Trumpets, which actually was Friday night. How many of you were able to be with us Friday night? That was a beautiful evening, was it not? Praise the Lord. And so that began the, the 10 days of awe, and then they'll carry us through the Day of Atonement. That was the day the high priest would carry the blood of a bull and a goat into the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum, And he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat to atone for the sins of the Israelites for yet another year. So in way of preparing our hearts, we've been actually seeking the Lord and we have now solemn assemblies or sacred gatherings every day um, of this week, Monday through Friday. We'll be here from 12 to one and from seven to eight. Now these will not be live streamed. These are times of the reading of God's word and a time of prayer, and a time of repentance. In these times, we will be following um, the Believer's Covenant of Repentance and Prayer. This is a little green sheet. They're out there on your way out if you don't have one. And we will be working through these seven points of obedience for empowered Christians throughout those five days. So we are encouraging you to try and be with us as much as you can during this time. And of course, then that is leading up to the simulcast of the return from the mall in Washington, D.C. Um, There's leaders from all over our nation that are gathering together. They're adding to the list, I think. uh, I don't know if they're still doing it, but I know this past week they added Ben Carson. um, They added Tony Perkins from the Family Research Council. Other people have been added to that. And so we are going to be simulcasting that here at Grace Fellowship Church. And we are encouraging you, please do everything you can to make that day. If you can only make a part of it, come for the earlier part of the day. Um, Okay, so after that, we'll have Sunday services at 9 and 11 on the 27th. And on the 28th, we will have um, a celebration here of the Day of Atonement right here at seven o'clock on that Monday evening. Okay, so today, we're going to look at a question. Why should we return? Why should we repent? What is our motivation in our deep hearts for repentance before God? Now, a lot of you grew up with a great sense of guilt. You know, you either practice some kind of religion or your your mom or your dad put their thumb on you frequently and you thought, well, I, I need to repent because I feel guilty. That's really not the best reason for you to repent. There is a godly sorrow, the scripture said, that leads to repentance. So there is sorrow in our repentance, but can I tell you The love of Christ is really what needs to compel us to turn back to him. We're gonna focus on that today as we look into this deep biblical mystery of blood covenant. Why does the scripture have so much to say about blood and why do Christians focus so much on the blood of Jesus? People that don't know Jesus, they think we're a little gross, do you understand that? They're like, why are you obsessed with blood? What's the deal with the blood? Well, the scripture says in Leviticus 17, 11, for the life is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make an atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. You see, I just wanna stop and say, this is an example, once again, of the, biblical the Bible explaining science before science understood science, if that makes any sense. We didn't know back in Hebrew times that blood was alive. We can put blood under our microscope right now and realize blood's alive. And God's saying the life is in the blood. So God is the author of life and he wants you and I to understand blood covenant is his chosen metaphor to reveal his heart to his people, I'm gonna say that again. Blood covenant is God's chosen picture, his metaphor, to reveal his will and his ways to his people. Now, listen to these scriptures here. The Lord confides to those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Listen to Psalm 103.7, he made known his ways to Moses his deeds to the people of Israel. Um, Do you know that God keeps secrets? Keeping secrets, that's not a very good thing to do. Of course it is. It's a very good thing to do. You know, I don't know, at times when you've actually dug into a good book, maybe it's a book that's a little heady, and you're mining for jewels, right? And you're kind of reading, and you're letting God kind of speak to you, and and all of a sudden a light bulb goes off, right? A secret has been revealed to you. God has revealed something to you that was locked up by his grace and for his glory. Through his spirit, he's revealed things to you. He's pulled the scales from your eyes. And the scripture says here that God confides to those who fear him, he makes his covenant known to them. In other words, this little whisper that happens across all the generations among all the people of God, and they know something about God and his covenant. They understand something about his covenant heart and how he devised this covenant in blood that speaks deeply to them in their heart of hearts. It compels them to trust him. Listen to this from Psalm 103. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Now think about Moses for a moment. Moses was the one who trusted God when the chips were down. Moses was the one who kept going when they didn't have what they wanted to eat. Moses was the one who consistently trusted God. Why? Because God showed him his heart. He showed him his ways. He revealed his covenant to Moses. And at the same time, the people of Israel knew the deeds of God. This is when when they saw the miracles, it wasn't enough for them. Why? Because when the chips got down, they would wander away. Because they didn't know the heart of God. See, God confides to those who fear him. So we need to understand God's covenant, his understanding of what he's trying to communicate to us through his covenant. And today we're gonna look at the person of Mephibosheth. Can you say that name with me? Mephibosheth, say it 10 times fast. It's just kind of a joke, a little pastoral humor. Mephibosheth, 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 it's it's hard. I want you to remember this name because you are Mephibosheth. So his name is Mephibosheth and he was a crippled refugee. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan and Jonathan was the son of Saul. And Saul was king and David was anointed to be king and Saul hated David. He hated his guts because he saw him as competition but David really loved Saul. And David loved Jonathan. Now listen, this is from 2 Samuel 4.4. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became crippled. His name was Mephibosheth. Let me understand what happened here. You see, Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And Jonathan and David, we're in covenant with one another. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, little Mephibosheth wouldn't have known this because that covenant came long before he was born. And, and what he knew was that his father was killed in battle. See, when a king's household is overthrown, the whole family flees for fear of the new and coming king. So, Saul's household, when they heard the word that Saul and Jonathan had been killed, They scrambled immediately. They they, they took everything and they ran out to a place called Lodabar, which is in the desert. Lodabar. And so this nurse, in a hurry, scoops up little Mephibosheth and she's surely running out the steps of wherever they have been. And she drops little Mephibosheth and she breaks his legs. And little Mephibosheth is a cripple. And all he knows as he grows up is that king is our enemy. That king is out to kill us. And they hide in the desert away from David because their belief is this. If he finds us, he's gonna take us out. But again, the nurse and little Mephibosheth did not know the secret that David and Jonathan knew. It was the secret of covenant. Let's listen to these words from 1 Samuel 18, one through five. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with the tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Now that doesn't sound Well, okay, so he gave him his clothes and he gave him his belt and he gave him some weapons. What's the big deal? This is a huge deal. This last line points to only one of the steps in what was a known covenant ritual during that time for the Hebrew. Well, let's just talk first quickly what what a covenant is. Okay, a covenant is a blood bond for life or death between two parties. Unlike the world in which we live in, this is a sacred oath attended by God, and it is always done by the shedding of blood. You never get out of this, so you never enter into it casually. It's not the kind of thing you go, oh, hey, let's cut a covenant with each other. Let's have some fun. Let's cut a covenant with each other. You don't do that because once you get into this thing, you are never going to get out. It is a blood bond for life or death and it is initiated and tended by a sacred God. If you break it, you die, period. It's multi-generational. It's stronger than all family ties. And this is very much unlike the culture in which we live. Do you think that we have a problem with commitment in our culture? So rituals do vary from culture to culture, but the ones that we're gonna look at are pretty much universally accepted and practiced. Even to this day, there are still tribes that cut covenant. Suppose we're to take this room and divide it into two tribes. Let's say, for instance, from this middle point over, you are tribe A. Let's hear a good cheer for tribe A. And you are tribe B. Let's hear a good cheer from tribe B. And you online, just pick a side, A or B, okay? So A and B are warring tribes. Y'all don't get along. You fight each other. And you've been contention, maybe multi-generational contention between the two of you. So often you go out and you kill each other and you try and hoard things from each other and you try and protect your own stock of food and whatever it might be, but you are in contention with each other. But one day, some of the wise men in both of the tribes, some of the elders decide, you know what? We could be stronger together. So they decide that they're going to approach a covenant relationship so they, they kind of enter into terms to start discussing what this covenant would look like. And once they come to terms, they're gonna choose a representative from tribe A and a representative from tribe B to come together in front of all the tribes, both tribes. Now listen, whatever happens to that representative happens to everybody in the tribe. So If you're the tribe representative for A, when you come and you stand here, you are representing the entire tribe and whatever happens to you happens to everybody there. If you're tribe representative for B, you come here and you stand as a representative of your tribe. Whatever happens to you happens to the entire tribe. That's the way covenant works. On the day of the covenant ritual, these two representatives come together. And one of the things, the first things they do is they actually do an exchange of coats or robes. So, if tribe A's representative is wearing this beautiful robe and tribe B is wearing another robe, what they do is they take their robe off and they give it to the other representative and they put on the other tribe's coat. What that means is, I will now cover you with myself. You see, the protection that I have kept just now for our tribe, it now covers you. I will cover you even in your weakness. You see, your weakness now is not something that I will exploit. Your weakness is now something I will cover with my strength. Married people, listen up. You live in a covenant relationship. So they exchange coats, and then after that they actually exchanged belts or weapons. Now remember a belt for for the whole ancient Hebrew, it wasn't something that held his pants up. A belt was something that carried his weapons. And so when you exchange a belt and you exchange weapons, you're saying this, all of the strength that I have is now yours. I will fight to the death to protect you with all the strength that I have. When I am fighting now, I will fight on your behalf for you. For you and I are one. Then there's a covenant sacrifice. And remember, a covenant is always done through the shedding of blood, So what happens is that there would be animals or an animal that literally would be hacked in half. And that animal, the two halves would be placed on the ground, if you wanna see a description of this, look at at the description when Abraham cuts a covenant with God. You can can see some of this there. But they lay the parts of the animals on the ground and the blood splatters all over the ground. Kinda gross, huh? And then the covenant representatives walk through the blood and they look at each other as they're walking through the blood in a figure eight. They're staring at each other in the eyes as they're walking through the blood. And what they're saying is they look at each other intensely in the eyes as they're walking through the blood is what happened to this animal, may it happen to me if I ever break this covenant. May my blood be spilled just like this animal. May I be torn in two if I ever break this covenant. By the way, this is where we get our sign for infinity, from cutting covenant, from walking through the blood of an animal in a figure eight, forever, I forever will fight for you. I forever will cover you with myself. After that, they have a reading of the terms. The terms are read very loudly and very clear, so all can be clear what is being agreed to today. Tribe A and Tribe B are now becoming one. We are no longer opposed to each other. We are one with each other, and we will cover each other and we will fight for each other. No longer division. After this, we're not done with blood. Next is the cutting of the representatives. The representatives will take a knife and they will cut themselves across the palm, sometimes across the forearm, and they will allow the blood to drip. And they will bring their hands together and intermingle the blood, so we now say we are of one blood. Remember, the life is in the blood, now we are life together. We are intermingling our blood to show that we are one. Now look, what happens to that wound now is they'll often take some material and put it in the wound. That's not just to stop the bleeding. It's to actually create a very pronounced and clear scar. I want you to listen. They want that scar to be as bold and pronounced as they possibly can be. Why? Because that is a sign that the covenant has been cut. If you are in tribe B, which we'll get to in a second, you no longer even have that name, and you ever doubt that that covenant, that 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 tribe over there is on your side, you just go to the covenant representative and say, show me the sign, holds up his hand, covenant's been cut, and you go, wow, thank you, thank you. You see, you, you you have relief and you have joy now, the covenant's been cut, because the covenant representative is the one who shows his hand to show that the covenant has been cut. He carries the mark of your agreement. In in modern cultures, they actually put gunpowder at times in that wound to make it very pronounced. So I'm gonna stop here for a second, and this is where i want to get a little clearer about marriage. Some of you said, well, marriage is a covenant. Where's the shedding of blood in marriage? I mean, where's the intermingling of blood in marriage? It's not when you want to kill each other. That's not when it is. Do you know God in his infinite wisdom has even built blood covenant into the marriage bed? You do know there's an intermingling of blood in the sexual relationship between man and woman, do you not? And do you know also on the first encounter of this kind, the sexual relationship, that there is a shedding of blood? Do you know that God built that in? Do you understand that he is the author of life itself and he built into marriage a covenant where there is a shedding of blood, when there is communion between man and woman? Do you understand how sacred that is before God? And do you understand why he calls this a covenant that represents his relationship with his bride? You see, this is how God weaves things together. He is a master at revealing his heart to his people. Do you know also that God was the first one to ever shed blood? You could even say God was the first murderer. It's a little bizarre. But remember, if you go back in the garden, we had the perfect relationship with God. We had uninterrupted intimacy with him in the garden. It was perfect. Can you imagine no backbiting, no self-consciousness, no shame, no guilt, nothing that we live with and carry every day here on planet Earth. We were just the way we were intended to be. And yet we chose to believe a lie and we fell from life into death. For God said, surely don't eat that or you will die. And we believed the lie that we could be God and we fell. And what's the first thing that God did? He comes and he has this incredible conversation with Adam and Eve. And then what does he do? He sheds the blood of an animal. Why? To cover us. Do you understand how beautiful and of an act of mercy that is? God takes blood, sheds blood, and then he covers us with the skins of animals. God is a perfect father. So these representatives now, we can come back to that. If anybody ever questioned the covenant, they could just hold the hand up and say, look, it's been cut, here it is, and there would be a deep sense of relief and joy when that happened. Now they join the names of both of the tribes. So you're no longer tribe A and you're no longer tribe B, but now y'all, or tribe A-B. Can I hear it from tribe A-B? Yeah. yeah, see, that's everybody. You're all together. You're one now. You've joined names. Now, realize what happens. God cuts covenant with Abram. And what does he do? He changes his name. Now, it's not that he just changes his name. He gives him part of his own name, Yahweh. He changes Abram's name to Abraham. Do you understand God gives Abraham now part of his name? He, he says, we're now one. Sarai becomes Sarach. It's part of God's name, the very breath of God. He gives them part of his own name. He says, now we are in covenant together. After this beautiful part, they eat a meal together. And that meal is almost 100% done with the drinking of wine and the breaking of bread. I hope you can see where we're going here today. When Jesus says, this is the covenant in my blood, the new covenant in my blood, this is exactly language that disciples would have understood. They would have understood the very things that we're talking about today. Oh, he's gonna cut covenant. There's a covenant being cut. There's a holy commitment that's going to be attended to. You see, and then after this eating of the meal, then they would plant a memorial to the covenant. This would often be a tree or some sort of pole. Even totem poles can be seen as signs of of cutting covenant in cultures. There will be a lasting symbol of the covenant. So in addition to the scar on the hand of the covenant representative, now there's a tree and a pole, and you can go to that tree or your pole and you can kind of go, that's a symbol that the covenant has been cut. Now what was divided is now one brought together as one in unity. Now let's transition back to poor little Mephibosheth. Remember he's out there in the desert in Lodibar. He's hiding and he's fearful of David and he believes that David is his arch enemy and at all costs, he wants to stay away from David. He doesn't know that his dad, Jonathan, and David had cut covenant. He doesn't even know what that means for him, but he just knows this, David is a bad king and I need to stay away from him. Now, meanwhile, David is back in his kingdom actually sinking something very different. David asks, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He's saying to his, his trusted, in, in trusted leaders and those around him, is there anyone in Jonathan's household that I can show kindness to because of the covenant that I've made? I, is there anybody left? And Ziba, one of his entrusted kind of folks here, said, there, there is a son of Jonathan, but he's crippled in both feet. And David says, go get him. Go get him. So, so, so David's men, they rush out into the desert to actually find Mephibosheth. And they take Mephibosheth, this crippled refugee, and they take him and carry him back to the king. And they actually bring him into the king's presence. And do you know what Mephibosheth says in the original language when he gets before David? He says these words I am but a dead dog. He is sitting there before the king thinking he's going to say the words off with his head. Off with his head. He is so suspicious of David. He's been so programmed over his entire life to think that David hates him, but he doesn't know about the covenant. Now, listen to what David says when Mephibosheth is brought before him. Don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Can you imagine being Mephibosheth? Can you imagine him? Head- what did you just say? He's trembling before him, he's waiting for him to say off with his head. And David basically says, Where have you been? I've been looking for you everywhere. Everything I have up to half of my kingdom is now yours because of the love that I had for your father and because of the covenant that was cut on your behalf. You now are gonna eat at my table every day. Can you imagine the shock in this man's soul? Can you imagine being conditioned all your life to distrust someone and then realize that their heart was really for you the whole time. Listen very carefully. Mephibosheth did not repent, change his mind about David, until he saw how much love David had for him. He didn't repent and then see, he saw and then he repented. He saw the heart of the king and then he changed his mind. He saw the love in David's eyes and the sacrifice that David made for him and then he changed his mind. Listen, your repentance, my repentance always begins with a change in your mind about who God is. Always. And you and I must know the heart of God. Listen to this quote from Romans 2, 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance? You may have guessed it already, but Mephibosheth is a picture of us. He's broken, he's beaten up by the world. And he attempts to run away from a good king it that sound familiar to any of you? He doesn't know the heart of David. You know what, so many of us are deceived into thinking that God's heart is not for us, and so we run and we do things our way. The covenant commitment he had made on his behalf, we're convinced that God is gonna drag us off to some malaria-filled swamp somewhere or say, off with his head, off with her head. And God's saying, no, I've been looking for you everywhere. Everything I have up to half of my kingdom is yours. And we realize that God is not who we thought he was. He's filled with love that lasts forever for you and for me. He is filled with kindness. And the response to God's kindness is our repentance. Okay, so who's our covenant representative? You may have guessed it's Jesus Christ himself. You see, when he's walking to Gethsemane, you're right there with him. He's walking there for you. He's representing you because he's become one of us. He's about to cut covenant with God the Father on our behalf. He takes off our filthy and ragged coat and he puts on us his robe of righteousness. He takes away our infirmities and our weaknesses and he gives us power and authority For the kingdom of God, he gives us his full armor, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. He gives us every single piece that we need. He gives us the power of his Holy Spirit. He literally sheds his own blood as the lamb of God for us, as a substitute for us. What we deserved, he took upon himself, and by his stripes, we are healed. What are the terms of the covenant? Well... We give him all of our sin, and he gives us riches and blessing. Instead of judgment, we now have acceptance. Instead of death, we now have life. Instead of curses, we now have blessings. Instead of law, we now have grace. Instead of distance from God, we now have intimacy with God the Father. And instead of hell, we now have heaven. Instead of being orphans, we are now sons and daughters of the Most High God, He who became sin for us has now given us the righteousness of God. And he gave us eternity with himself. What is our response to that? What is our response to that? You see, all we have to do is believe and receive. That's what we have to do. We have to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone who calls on the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture says, will be saved Period. Well, well, can't we do more? No. Not to be saved. You know, Jesus is talking to this guys like us, the disciples, who think that life is really about jumping through a bunch of hoops. And they come to him and they go, Must what must we do? What must we do, Lord, to do the works that God requires? Do you hear that? They're doers and they're workers. Lord, what must we do to do the work that God requires? What's our part in the covenant? And Jesus says the work of God is this, to carry around a big Bible and memorize all kinds of scriptures. Didn't say that. The work of God is this, is to pontificate religious hatred to the people around you. He didn't say that. He didn't say make sure you wear a cross. He didn't say that. He didn't say anything except this. The work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent, period. What? What? You mean all I gotta do is believe and receive? That's it. You're forgiven 100% because your covenant representative went to Golgotha for you and he died for you. He cut covenant for you so that you now can be one with God at peace with him forever. And folks, listen to me. If human beings are committed to this kind of thing, how much more is God committed to his work? He shed his own blood for you. But I want to draw you back to the living reminders of covenant. I want you to understand something, that that scar means something to people. That just doesn't mean to us. But do you realize that Jesus chose to remain, he chose to retain certain scars on his body. I think it's very peculiar that he would choose to retain certain scars on his body. He was beaten to the point of being unrecognizable. He was flogged where pieces of rock are tearing flesh away from his body down to the bone. He was probably one of the most dismembered and beaten people ever. And yet he chose to retain certain scars. Remember Thomas, right? Remember he's the one who doesn't believe. And remember on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together and the doors were locked for fear of the Jews and they're wondering what happened, what went down? Jesus came and stood among them, he's here, he's here, and he said, peace be with you, and after he said this, he showed them his hands, and the disciples were overjoyed. Do you understand? Jesus himself was saying the covenant was cut, it is finished, you now belong to God. And I have taken away every sin for you. I have cut covenant for you, little Mephibosheth. Not only did Jesus show his hands so we could take great relief in the truth that the covenant is finished, but he climbed the hill to Gethsemane and he planted a tree as a memorial to his love to the extent to which love would reach down and seek out and save poor little Mephibosheths like us, broken poor refugees who now have become heirs to the kingdom of God. Listen to these words from Colossians 2. When we were dead, God made us alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, our cross is the living reminder that Jesus Christ cut covenant for you. So whenever you see that, you should be filled with joy and great relief because your covenant champion, your covenant representative, loved you so much that he would give his very life for you. Today we're gonna take a covenant meal together. We have to remember who our covenant representative is is, and not only praise him for the freedom that he has bought us, but we need to look deeply at the price he paid. Covenant never comes cheap, but the price that God paid is beyond measure. We need to look together at how far his love will go for us. Listen to some of these scriptures, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Look, you were ransomed. You were bought back. But not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 20. For you were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. And and in in Romans 12, it says, in light of God's mercy, in light of the fact that he went for you as your representative and died for you as your representative, you offer everything back to him. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, which is your act of spiritual worship. And look, they say that pictures are worth a 1,000 words. So today I wanna show you a little video that I prepared probably eight or 10 years ago. It has a way of tilling the soil of our souls to help us understand the cost that Jesus paid for us. And I'd like us now to just pray with me if you would in time of our preparation for communion because we're gonna take communion right after this video. I'm gonna pray for us after the video, after communion, And then today I'm gonna ask us to do something that I don't know we've ever done in the history of Grace Fellowship Church before. I'm gonna ask you to leave here in silence today. The next seven days for us are sacred days. They're solemn days. They're days of repentance. They're days for us to examine our own souls, to wake up and to weep and go to war with the Lord. So we need to actually mark this time, we marked it Friday night, we're gonna mark it again, that this is a time now for us to let the love of Christ compel us. Because you and I are Mephibosheth, crippled and refugee. but God in his deep love for you and for me bought us back at a great price. Lord, I ask now that you would use this little film and this little song to break open our hearts, to help us just get a glimpse of the depth of your love for us and your willingness to pay a price beyond measure to buy us back. That while we were enemies of you, you made us friends, clothed us in your righteousness, God. You gave us your weapons. You joined our names And Lord, you've invited us to spend every day at your table. You've given us as heirs to your kingdom the keys to heaven. Lord, help us this day to experience the depth of your love. And let that love compel us to live our lives differently from this day on. In Jesus' name.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.